I was reading there this morning. Um, <clears throat> you know, in chapter 2, Paul brought up something right before he goes into chapter 3. Of course, page, page, and, page breaks and all this stuff, chapter breaks aren't there. But Paul here is talking about that um, whenever we preach, right? Um, we preach the truth as it is in Christ. The Word of God is the only truth that there is. I don't have truth. None of us in here has truth. The only truth that there is to know is in the Word of God. The only truth that we have about God is found in God's Word. The only truth that we have about Christ Jesus is in God's Word. The only truth that we have about the Gospel about his people's salvation is in the Word of God. It doesn't come from a seminary. It doesn't come from an intellectual. It doesn't come from our feelings or traditions or thoughts. Now, there's a lot of that out there. And there's a lot of churches that's out there that is preaching seminary thoughts, <coughs> preaching individual thoughts, traditions. But, brethren, the only truth that we have is on the Word of God. So we have to rely on God's Word and the Spirit of God to teach us that Word. And I know that's a subject that we hit on almost every week whenever we meet together. And I probably sound like a broken record on that. But I don't know how I can emphasize that. And I don't see any reason why we shouldn't emphasize that. You know, we need to be reminded that this is where we get our beliefs. This is where we get our uh, our uh, faith and practice, right? And <clears throat> so anything that we know about God and the gospel, we know by the truth. And we know that that truth only comes, as Larry even mentioned earlier uh, in, in our conversation before we started, that only comes by revelation. Now that revelation, we are... In full agreement that we have, right? Uh, we don't believe in this weird esoteric re- revelations that we see in the uh, cult preachers on TV, like you know Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland, all these guys here that just comes out with all these things that you know God told me this, God told me that. If whatever your God told me isn't found in here, then I pretty much don't want to listen to it. Okay, if I can't find it supported here, keep it to yourself. Okay, um, but revelation in the biblical sense is God taking what is true about himself, about his Christ, about his gospel, and about his people, and he reveals that to us. So that means that's something that we don't know. We can't know unless it is revealed to us. And it's only revealed by the Spirit of God. Therefore, I can't push you to learn and to understand and to to, to grasp as truth something that has not been revealed to you yet. And there's a lot of preachers out there that just want to punish people because they don't jump on board with, okay, I'm, I'm reading it to you. There you are. You've now been taught so there you go. How come you're not believing it? We can even have opposing, opposite opinions. You know, uh, and, and one guy comes and he's got his handful of verses. Another guy comes and he's got his handful of verses. But somehow they've come with two different thoughts about how something is. And one guy's saying, I'm teaching you and you're not being teachable. And the other guy said, well, I'm teaching you and you're not being teachable. Well, I'm teaching you with the scriptures. Well, I'm teaching you with the scriptures. You see how we just go back and forth? But if both of them would know that we just continually with meekness pray that the Lord would peradventure give them acknowledging of the truth, repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, continue in long-suffering with the brothers, we would continue in sharing that truth, and if it is truth that we're speaking, the Word of God is going to stand. It's going to hold up. And at some point, the Holy Spirit will reveal 
whenever he decides to reveal. Now, with that thought, Paul in them says, and leading into 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17, he says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Now, Paul is saying here, listen, there's a lot of voices out there that are preaching, quote unquote, the word of God. They have Bibles open. They have seminary degrees behind their names. They have Greek and Hebrew known in their intellect. They have lexicons. They have huge libraries. They've read every major theologian that's out there and maybe have even put them to memory. But Paul has already told these Corinthians back in the first letter that he wrote to them, Whenever we came to speak to you, we did not come in the wisdom of men, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. We came and we preached, and your hearing of that, and your receiving of that, your acknowledging that truth, and receiving of that truth didn't come because of the eloquency of our speaking. It didn't come because of the intellectualness of our delivery or even of our figuring things out and putting it in such a way. It didn't come because we was able to share Greek and Hebrew with you. It came in the power of God. When the truth comes to a child of grace, it comes in the power of God. It doesn't come in the work of man. Me sitting here today is not advancing you in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's only whenever the Spirit confirms what I'm saying to be true. If I be speaking the truth, I may be speaking something that my mind just concocted as what I confess. I can figure this out. You know, I, I'm I, I'm I'm not an educated person. I'm not a very smart person. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that I might have wrong. And guess what? If I preach something that I think is, is is the truth, and God's word says, "Sorry, that's not right," it's me, not the Holy Spirit, right? That's me, and that's possible. We're all fallible. Every preacher is fallible, no matter how many degrees he has, no matter how long he's been in the ministry. He's fallible. We all have our pet doctrine. We all have our pet presuppositions. We have all these things that affect us. Why? Because we are not God. There's only one who is God and the Bible says that He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, we talk about hope. The Bible personifies hope as Christ Jesus. It personifies truth as Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is truth. If there is any truth to be known, it's going to be known from the Word of God. And that's not just talking about this book. It's talking about the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word. So if there's a Word to come from God, and we know that anything that God speaks is truth, God cannot lie. Not to mention, God is the creator of all things. So whatever God says, that's truth because everything comes from Him. That wall is a wall because God created the material that made that wall. Therefore, that wall is a wall. God is a wall builder. That wall is personified as God. Now, I'm not getting into New Age stuff that God is in everything. He's the tree. He's the this or he's the that. But what I'm saying is, is whenever God speaks, it is because God says it so. We only re-utter the things that we have seen and heard. The Word of God has been given to His people and the ministers of that Word are given to be able to speak on those things as God gives them truth, as God gives them utterance, and the receiving of that as God gives them understanding. It all depends upon God. 
And so Paul here says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. So see, this week we get back to these two groups of people. you got some claiming this, and they're opening the word of God, and they're preaching, but yet they're corrupting the word of God with the word of God. They corrupt the word of God by the word of God. Just look at all the different articles of faith, statements of faith, uh, you know, uh, confessions of faith. All of them have little rows of scriptures all down from here. But you take this one, you take this one, you compare them together. Well, these are saying two different things, but they all got scripture under them. What's happening? Men are interpreting Scripture in light of their understanding and they're using the Word of God and they're using the Word of God to support their theology. Okay? And you say, well, preacher, isn't that how anybody, everybody is? That's my point. My point is we're all in that boat. We're all fallible. So to say this one or this one has absolute truth this denomination has absolute truth. That group of people's statement of faith has absolute truth. That document over there has absolute truth. That theologian, you can count on him. That's what I'm trying to say is we can't do that. The only truth that we have is right here. And we are beholden to God to even within the truth that is here in black and white, the only way that we can grasp and understand its meaning, its intention is if God reveals it to us. Otherwise, we will corrupt the Word of God even with the Word of God. And Paul says, we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity. But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Listen, if if anybody shares the Word of God and is not doing it in Christ, then they're speaking of their own accord. If they're not speaking in Christ, they're speaking of their own accord. And whenever we speak, we speak in the language of Christ. We speak His words. We use His terminology. We use His doctrine. We don't use our own doctrine. We use His doctrine. But He says that, and as He says that, He goes into this next passage of verses and read with me if you would he says do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you what's Paul meaning by this he's saying you know when we came and spoke we spoke the truth of God we spoke only about Christ we didn't go into other stuff and we didn't come here building ourselves up. Well, I don't know how many times I've been to Bible conferences or uh, been to some some place where some you know some revival or something like that, and the preacher up there building himself up. Man, I remember uh, I, there was a guy over in Oklahoma, and uh, I won't say his name, but there was a guy over in Oklahoma who was a evangelist. And uh, they have a state paper over there, the Baptist Faith and Message. Um, and it comes out once a month, I think it is, or once a week or something like that. Uh, anyway, on, they used to have on the back of this thing, they would have announcements, different announcements and upcoming things. And this is where all the churches that were having their revivals would advertise, this is when our revival is going to be. And they would advertise, this is who the evangelist is going to be. If they have some singing group, this is who the singing group is going to be. And all that kind of stuff. Well, this evangelist always put ads in that paper as as an evangelist. And his slogan was, if I haven't preached in your church, it's because you haven't called. That was his slogan. Okay? And this man, he pumped himself up. He wore white pants. He looked, listen, I'm serious. He looked like Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> he wore white slacks and a fire engine red. I mean, not, not even fire engine. It was a bright, bright red. Uh, about like that controller up there. I mean, it was red. Suit coat. 
And he would, he did all kinds of crazy things, but he would always pump himself up. One of the things he would do is he carried a pocket full of gold coins. Fake gold coins, but gold coins. And he would, at the end of a service, he would hold up a gold coin and tell any of the kids, he said, would any of you kids like a gold coin? He said, this gold coin represents Jesus. If you would like to have Jesus in your life, come and get this gold coin. And they would come up and get that gold coin, and he would announce that they've been saved. I mean, he would, I mean, everything. Now, at the end of the service, he would then go to the pastor, and he would say, be sure to have them fill out all these cards, and be sure to turn those cards into the association, because they put those revival reports in the back of the deal. Because not only do they advertise the revivals, after the revivals, they advertise how many people were saved, how many people rededicated their lives, how many people surrendered to the ministry, how many were added to the church, how many were baptized during that revival. <clears throat> and so he would put down there, be sure to turn that in, because that's my calling card. Now, can you believe that? Now, we all talk about hirelings, but this was a hireling of hirelings. This man, man was commending himself. He was coming and wanting others to commend himself. Maybe not in a written letter, although there were men who were writing letters of commendation about these evangelists and sending them to other churches. But this man was saying, hey, advertise your revival in this paper. Don't forget to turn in those reports whenever they see how many people that got saved whenever I came. That keep, That's my calling card. That keeps me in business. He actually said those words. I couldn't believe it. I sat there across the table listening to some of this stuff. And I just, it, it was all that was in me to not just get up and walk out. And the guy that was the pastor there, I knew. And it broke my heart that this guy was even allowing this in his church. Of course, I was still an Armenian at that time. And even at that point, that was just flabbergasting to me to hear that. What was going on? He was commending himself. He was saying, the proof is in the pudding, and I'm the pudding. Okay, The proof of God's work is in the pudding, but I'm the pudding. I am the one who has created this revival. And if you want to have a revival like this, if you haven't called, give me a call. And there you have 90% of Christendom nowadays. It's all about the flashy building. It's all about the flashy preacher. It's all about the name. It's all about the promotions. It's all about the programs that we run. It's all about everything. And everything there is to commend ourselves, our program, our church, and our star pastor. But here Paul says, we came in sincerity. Meaning that we didn't come with ulterior motives of advancing ourselves. I've seen in the Southern Baptist Church men who would start off in a little bitty tiny church and if he had opportunity to move to a bigger church, well why not? You know? That's more opportunity to speak to more people. They need to hear the word. God's given opportunity for me to go and to be able to share what I know to other people. And it's just a stair step. Just, and these guys only hang around at a church sometimes the most five years. At one time, at one time, the statistics in the Southern Baptist was the most stayed at a church two years. Why? Because either the church didn't like what you're doing and put you away, or you moved on to bigger and better things. Rarely did you see guys going from a large church to say, you know, the Lord's called me to pastor this little bit tiny five-member church. Rarely ever seen that. Why? It's because we have a world full of commendators. We're common. Is that the word? Commendating ourselves. And Paul says here, do we begin again to commend ourselves? He said, we've already commended ourselves to you. How did we do that? We commended ourselves to you in the fact that we preached the Christ of this scripture 
and it was brought to you in power, not in eloquency, not in doctrinal degrees, but it came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the thing that is the commendation is the fact of here you are today believing it. We are, the commendation of us is the fact that we are are the commendation to you because we are speaking the truth. You're the commendation to us because you're believing that truth. He says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. See, he didn't have to have a letter of commendation to say, Hey, Brother Paul, he's... You need to have this evangelist come and preach to your church. Look at this, man. The results he got. No. What was the what was the letter of commendation? The fact that those people were believing the gospel. Those people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that showed that the truth that was being preached by Paul and by any of the other apostles, that that truth was truth because God's people are given to believe truth only by revelation. Therefore, the work of God in the minister to preach truth and the work of God in the listener and the receiver of that is only by the Spirit of God. Therefore, that was a work of the Spirit and not a work of man trying to advance the kingdom of God. It was a work of the Spirit. But he says, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, now, some get up, get hung up on this word minister. <clears throat> Do you know that that word is being misapplied? Probably one of the, I wouldn't say the greatest misapplied words, but one of the greatest misapplied words. Whenever someone claims to be a minister, we take that to mean that we are an administer. That the word minister is short for administer. What am I here to do today? I'm here to administer truth to you. I'm here to administer the church so that you're kept in order. I'm here to administer the ordinances so that you can commune with each other. So that you can keep the commands of God. I'm here to administer that's not what that word is. The word minister means an attendant. It means a servant. And look what we have done today. I've already been talking about it a little bit. We have taken preachers and put them on pedestals, and the word minister automatically evokes some sort of reverence and awe. They've been placed there to administer the sacraments, to administer the word, to administer the the conduct of the church. But the word minister there is a servant. The Bible says that a servant isn't someone who is to take the high seat, but is to take the low seat. The purpose of a servant is someone to come in and to serve others. So Paul is saying here, listen, whenever we came and ministered to you, we didn't come to lord it over you with our great commendations and all the accolades that follow us. No, we came to minister, to serve unto you. We came to serve you. That's one of the things I really love about uh, many of the uh, uh, old school Baptists. Whenever they talk about preachers and they said they serve this church, they don't say... We pastor that church, or we pastor that church. They say, we serve this church. I served this church for this many years. You know, they, they don't make it about we are lords over God's heritage, which we see in most churches today. They say, I've been called to serve this church. So sometimes we got to get that vernacular out of our mind because it's been so ingrained in there. We serve this church. Well, that's what a minister is there Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by Jesus Christ, was called to minister, to serve. Jesus even himself said, I did not come to be ministered to, but to minister. He came to serve. 
How did he come to serve? Well, he came to serve in his mediatorial office, for one. He served as our substitute. He served as our um, uh, proxy. But he also came to serve in ministering truth to us. And a minister comes and ministers not as an overlord, not as someone who is a hierarchical person over somebody, but he comes as a servant. And if somebody is a servant, that servant should be humble in what they do, right? They ought to be humble. And oh, if we would have ministers that would be like that. I pray that the Lord makes me that way. It's easy to get haughty. It's easy to get built up in your own pride. Brethren, if the Lord would so be pleased to do it, give us ministers who truly serve the people. And they do that by not preaching themselves, by not preaching a system, by not preaching an organization, by not preaching a, a, a denomination or, a, you know, whatever, but they preach Christ. How can I serve you the best? I can serve you the best by giving you the truth. As the Lord gives me to do that. As the Lord enables me to do that. What's the best way that you can serve your family? Give them the truth. What's the best way that you can serve others? By giving them the truth. And so much today that's frowned upon. Well, there is no truth except the truth of your own truth. That might be true to you, but it's not true to me. Well, that's your truth. Well, brethren, here's the, here's the kicker. This is the only truth. And if a preacher is only concerned with preaching this, he doesn't have to worry about everything else. I don't have to worry about being up on all the trends. You know, I don't have to worry about all the new aged uh, religions and worship things that are out there. Just preach the truth. Paul said we just came in sincerity and preached Christ. We don't have to make sermons that are all conformed out into all these outlines with all these points and subpoints. I've heard of preachers that they plan their sermons out for a whole year. I used to listen to John Piper when I first came to the Doctrines of Grace. I thought the guy was the greatest thing on earth. I despise the man now, but... I thought he was the greatest guy on earth. And he used to talk about how he had planned out, you know, these sermons over the course of this whole entire year. And, and man, he landed on these holidays and he would be right where in the scriptures that would have something to do with that holiday. And he had planned that out. I mean, he planned everything out, planned it all out, planned everything out. Just preach Christ. Just Come and preach Christ. We don't have to be up on everything. We don't have to follow everything. Just come in and preach Christ. And it doesn't have to be planned out. He says here, he says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. See, again, he's trusting Christ. Whenever I preach and minister Christ in the Scriptures, I don't know how that's going to fall. Matter of fact, Paul said up above uh, where we started, he said uh, in verse 14 of chapter 2, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make it manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that are, uh, that perish, to the one we are a savor of death unto death, and to the other a savor of life unto the life. I don't know how it's going to fall. It's not up to me. It's not my it's not my business how it falls. Whether it's life unto life or death unto death, whether it's received or whether it's rejected. As Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. Just preach the Word. 
God's the one responsible of teaching. God's the one responsible of giving faith. God's the one that's responsible for them receiving it. God's responsible for them to love it and to hold it and to cherish it and to hide it in their heart and to go out and to live upon it. That's God's job. Not me. Not you. It's not your job to tell me how I ought to go out and live. Now, I'm thankful if you correct me with God's Word, but you cannot make anybody live in any way that they're supposed to live. We trust God. Paul here is saying, listen, we believe that God is working this truth in the people not by outward works of written in stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. God is doing this in the heart. The truth is being believed in the heart. It's being received in the heart. It's being lived upon in the heart. How are they doing that? By the Spirit of God. And that's why it says, so we have to trust God. I have to trust God that God is going to work in Larry to will and to do His good pleasure. I have to trust in God that the Holy Spirit is leading Larry as God would have him to go. It's not Mark's responsibility. It's not Mark's responsibility. It's not anybody else's responsibility to make sure that Larry's getting along on his way. Do we encourage one another? Absolutely. Brother Larry and, and all of you guys, in some way or another, that you encourage each other. We encourage each other. We exhort one another. But ultimately, what do we do? We trust in Christ. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. There again, why do we do it that way? Because we are not sufficient. I'm not sufficient enough. Listen, listen. (laughs) Revelation, brother, just came. But I think you can find it in the Scripture. If the very law of God was not sufficient to make you perfect into the keeping of the things of God, do you think a minister of God or a church of God is sufficient to make you the spiritual person that you're supposed to be? The very holy law of God was insufficient to make us right before God perfect before God, kept by God, accepted by God, however you want to put that, it was not sufficient. Why? Because the flesh. Well, brethren, if one flesh ministers to another flesh, I'm not sufficient in these things either. Even more so than the law. The law is more holy than me. The law is more ungiving than me and yet it cannot change you. But the Holy Spirit of God can. The Holy Spirit of God can put those desires in your heart, that love in your heart. He can put those precepts in your heart that you love them and want to keep them, although we can't. We desire them, but we can't keep them. But He puts it there in the heart. We want to serve God with our mind, but our flesh is weak and it cannot do those things. So whenever we preach, we preach knowing that anything of spiritual nature is not sufficient of the preacher, not sufficient of the listener. But the sufficiency is in the Holy Spirit of God who applies these things, who teaches these things, who encourages in these things, who prompts, who 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 enables, or He re- restricts. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. I've heard preachers say, if I could just get over there and preach to them, I know. You know what? What do you know? You don't know nothing. You don't even know if you're going to be able to get over there to that place that you said you may die in the street tomorrow. You don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. The only thing I know is that if any of God's people have any kind of hope, any kind of consolation, and any kind of spiritual activity, 
The sufficiency has to come from God and not from me or anybody else. It's all of God. Our sufficiency is of God. Verse 6, look at what he says. Who also hath made us able ministers. There's that word again. Able servants of the New Testament. Uh Uh-oh. Does that mean we only preach from the New Testament? I shouldn't be preaching out of the Old Testament. I've actually heard people say that. You know that? I've actually heard people say, well, we're a New Testament church. We don't preach from the Old Testament. We only preach from the New Testament. And they go to this verse and say, we're ministers of the New Testament. That's not what this is meaning, brethren. It's not meaning that we can't go back into, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all that. That's not what that's saying. He said, we are, uh, uh, we used this word last week. I think it was last week. We are able ministers. He, he says that who have made us able ministers of the new covenant. The new testament, the new covenant, the new testament of the Lord. The new covenant. We are able ministers of the new covenant. The new covenant is found in the Old Testament. Right? Do we not, do we not believe that? The new covenant was intact in the Old Testament. If it wasn't, none of those brethren in the Old Testament was ever saved. Right? Matter of fact, the new covenant was intact before anything was created. He says we are able servants of the new covenant. Not of the letter. Now, he makes that pretty specific, don't he? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. How am I to preach to you? Do I preach to you the letter? Or do I preach to the Spirit? Well, if, if I'm going to be an able minister, and if I'm finding sufficiency in God alone, I preach to you the Spirit. But those who want to have the sufficiency in themselves, those who want to make commendation of themselves, will preach to you the letter. That's what Paul told to the Galatians. These men want to preach to you the law so that they might glory in your flesh. They want to glory in the fact that they got you to act right. They want to commend themselves. They want you to be their epistle. No, they want them to be your epistle. They want them to say, oh, what great leaders we had. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be on the straight and narrow. But Paul here says, we're not ministers of the letter, but of the Spirit. For why? The letter killeth. We were talking about the absolutes last week on, on the chain. Was it last week or maybe it was the week before last uh, when I talked about a new priesthood and a new um, uh, law? That old law has to go away because it's insufficient. The new law is here. Why? Because it is sufficient. The Spirit is sufficient. Why? Because the letter killeth. The letter condemns. Paul says here, we are able ministers, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? See, if there is, if there is some glory in the law itself, which was to fade away and to be done away with, how much more should we be glorying in the preaching and the and the recommending of trusting in the sufficiency of God and the Spirit of God in us? These men who are out there preaching a conditional salvation by your keeping commands are preaching sufficiency in the letter and the letter only kills They're preaching sufficiency in your flesh to do something that will please God. And it kills. But the able ministers of the new covenant 
doesn't preach the letter because there's no sufficiency of God in that. They preach the Spirit. The Spirit is given. It is the Spirit that gives life. Jesus said, these words that I speak are life. Not the words that I speak, Mike. The words that Christ speaks are life. And some think, well, if Christ said it and put it down in these books, then if we speak these words, then that's going to create life. No, 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 no. It's not talking about this. It's talking about Christ Himself. The fiat of God. The command of God in the heart to do this. Whenever Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee and all of His apostles were there, wherever they were, fishing or tax collecting or whatever they were doing, He's walking around gathering His apostles. What did He do? Did He say, Come, follow Me. No, He just went out and said, Follow Me. What does the Bible say? They left their nets and they followed after Him. There's some neighbors seven houses down that we've never met before. If that guy come over there and he just walked up to my house and said, hey, come to my house and walked off, you think I'm going to follow that guy? Heck no! I don't even know him! He may be... He may eat people's heads in his basement over there. I don't know what he does. I'm not going to follow that guy. Don't have a clue. Here, Jesus walks along. Someone just said, follow me. Boom, and they came. Came to a tomb where a man was dead for four days and steam. He says, come forth. The guy stood up, came forth. Live as can be. Did he have to go say, I am the Messiah, and I say, get up. No. Why did, why did anybody follow Jesus do what Jesus said. Come alive whenever He said come alive. Be healed whenever He said be healed. That's because the Word of God has power. The Word of God coming from my mouth does not have power. It's only whenever God speaks into your heart that command to do this. If God says, reject that temptation in my heart, guess what? My heart rejects that temptation. If God doesn't say that, guess what? My flesh is probably going to dabble in that temptation. Paul said, we know that we are insufficient to do any of these things, to teach these people, to get these people to believe, to get these people to receive, to get any of this stuff... into these people and for them to respond we are insufficient but we trust in God and so he says there if I can get back to where I was at he says if the ministration of the law was glorious how shall not the ministration of the spirit be rather glorious for if the ministration of condemnation be glory. People like to hear their law preaching. But all of this preaching to you is condemnation. And if you think that's glorious, wait until the Lord really, in your heart, brings you to hear and understand and believe the ministration of righteousness. If the ministration of condemnation be glorious, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Why do you preach grace all the time? You don't preach law very much. Well, because I want to preach what's more glorious. This is more glorious. I don't have sufficiency to do the other. I don't have sufficiency to even preach grace unless the Lord gives that to me also. But i tell you one thing, and I'll tell this to Larry. If I err, I would rather err in giving more glory 
to God. More glory to Christ. More glory into what God does in me, through me. No, not even so through me. What God does in me. Because what you see on the outside, I can say, that was God working through me. I don't know that. That could have been my flesh. Paul said that he was doing God's work when he was persecuting the church. He's doing it through me. No, he wasn't, Paul. You just thought he was. You're just being religious. See, it's what God's doing in us. It's this, It's a spiritual law. It's a spiritual work. It's a spiritual kingdom. We are a spiritual people. We are spiritual servants. And the Spirit of God is the one who has been given to us so that we might do the works of God. It says, For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory of itself. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Brethren, there's not liberty in that law keeping. There's not liberty in that law preaching. The liberty comes whenever we are ministers, able ministers of the New Testament. So we never commend ourselves by ourselves for ourselves. We commend to you Christ Jesus. I commend to you the Holy Spirit of God to work in you to will and to do His good pleasure. I commend unto you the Holy Spirit of God to cause you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I commend unto you the Word of God to love your brother as yourself. I commend unto you the Word of God, the Spirit of God, to work in you to love God. I commend to you Christ. He is all and all. Churches, ministers, brethren. These all are fallible and insufficient. But Christ is sufficient in all things. Alright, that's all the thoughts that I have on any of that. Does anybody have any things you'd like to add to it or say? Or corrections, reviews, always open for that as well. And I really do mean that, brethren, for those watching and everything. It may just seem like a, you know, Official thing. I truly mean that. Many brethren have come and corrected me, and they contact me, and I look into things, and sometimes I am led to be in agreement. I was wrong. Sometimes I still think all I know is what I know, and what the Lord's given me to know. Until He changes that, I'm still where I am. So, uh, but I am always open for that discussion and correction and everything. And I would hope everybody else would be the same way. Really, that shows love for a man to correct and to rebuke and to receive that it is a reciprocation of love, actually. But that's for another another sermon, maybe. All right, anybody? All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you again for your Son Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Word of God that we have and the truth that's before us. We ask, Lord, today that uh, the things that's been said has been said. In truth, Lord, and, uh, I've spoken of my own self and my own wisdom, and after my flesh, Lord, I pray that you forgive me of that, and I pray that you guard your people from those errors, and I trust in you to do that. Uh, but Lord, I just ask today that you glorify your Son in the hearts and minds of all these brethren. Lord, we just thank you for every opportunity that we have together, and as Brother Larry brought it up earlier, what a blessing it is to have a fellowship to be able to come to 
and to rejoice in the things of Christ with others and to be encouraged one another and to be able to speak on the word of God and the uh, salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, even just to be able to meet and to convey the things of our life that we're going through and the struggles that we might be facing and even the joys that we might have, Lord, that we might experience them with each other, that we might weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. What a truly great privilege that is. We surely don't take that lightly and we know that we don't deserve it and we know that there are other brothers and sisters in Christ. That by your providence, which we do not question, uh, have been placed in areas, Lord, where there is no gospel witness. And Lord, we pray for them. And we pray, Lord, if you would so will to uh, lead them and gather them together into a fellowship with other believers in Christ Jesus. Uh, Lord, that would be uh, uh, something, Lord, that, I, that truly would be uh, something that they would be grateful for, I'm sure. But Lord, we know that you control all things and that you are working out all your purpose uh, according to your divine uh, providence. And Father, we trust that. And we know that you say that all things work together for good to them who are the called. And even though they're called, they have no place to fellowship. They're still your people, called out by election to you, separated from the goats, separated from the reprobate. And Lord, you are sufficient to supply all their needs. So Lord, we just pray for them today. And, uh, but Lord, yes, we are grateful to have this meeting today and in time together. We pray for each brother and sister that is here. We pray that you would be with them this week and that you would strengthen them. Lord, not only physically, but spiritually. And Lord, that, uh, that uh, you might gather us to get together again next week, if that be your will as well. And again, we thank you for all things through Christ Jesus, who has saved us, and, uh, made all things of the new covenant possible for us. Not just possible, but sure. So Father, again, we come and thank you for all these things. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.